0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 23 of Adam Mudman's A-List. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a uh, movie that's a bit more recent than the sort of material I usually handle, uh, which is, in this case, uh, 2007's Disturbia. Um, I ended up watching this movie for the Movie Thoughts column on my Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Um where you can get early access to these episodes, uh, I ended up talking, I I, I rewatched Disturbia because it was a movie that I remembered seeing a ton of trailers for, um, when I was a kid. Uh, this movie came out in 2007, which is 11 years ago, so I would have been either, I would have been about 12 or 13. Um... Maybe it wasn't such a such a thing in in other parts of the country or the world, but uh, this movie was kind of a big deal uh, when it came out. Um, there's, you know, you're. Uh, we have, of course, there's always kind of just been horror films that have been directed at teenagers, and and those still exist. I mean, there's one in theaters right now. It's called Slender Man. Um, from what I've heard, it. Probably wouldn't even scare teenagers um but uh you know you have movies that are specifically oriented towards that sort of audience um and, and disturbia i think ended up kind of being one of them. It was one of the horror slash suspense movies that people just assumed was going to be really really fucking scary um and there were i remember there were people you know at my at my middle school. Who saw the movie and were talking about it, you know like like it was it was really creepy and really well done and really exceptional um I remember one guy in particular uh who uh you know was very big on the movie as far as saying it was like the ultimate horror um, that guy also thought that Chris angel um was the well, he was a real wizard. Like, he did his tricks with, like, actual, like, mystic sorcery. Um, So that kind of gives some insight into the sort of quality we'll be expecting with Disturbia. Uh, Disturbia is a movie that I really don't enjoy aside from as a riff. um, That When I started the A-list, a lot of the movies that I was reviewing, um, you know, they were movies that I you know, unrepentantly loved in the same way I would love, quote, good movies. Um, but I've also found out that it's, it it is fun to do reviews that talk about movies that I like just because I had such a great riffing experience with them, um, so yeah, Disturbia is not necessarily a good movie, but I do get a kick out of it when I watch it just because it is bad in very key places. Um and it has a very strange, very outdated message. Um the other reason that I I you know have some sort of a soft spot for this movie um is it's interesting. I've I've been thinking a lot as as I reach my as I as I age into my mid 20s um you know thinking about the idea of nostalgia because growing up I was generally a very sentimental person um and as such I tend to have a particularly good memory about my life because I would you know spend a lot of time reflecting on you know the past. Um, and, and, and I'm starting to, as I get older, I'm kind of starting to get sick of that tendency in myself, and I kind of just want to keep moving into the future because I, I see what obsessing with the past can do to people. Um, whether it's nostalgia or whether it's, um, a belief in a certain older form of tradition. Um, and so, uh, this this is kind of then delving into what, and I'm going to get real pretentious here, but it's just kind of the idea that I think of from my, my literary experience that I want to cite. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flag it right here. I am not a Sigmund Freud fan. Uh, I, I don't know too much about psychology, but I've definitely been in enough therapy and studied enough of my own illness to know that, um, yeah, when the modern scientific community basically says that Freud, uh, was good for metaphors, but not a lot of hard science, that's basically true. Um, but Freud did have a good idea, which was the, um, it was the idea of the Unheimlich, um, or the Uncanny, which is basically kind of, as I view it, um, at least in this case, it's sort of a, a perverse nostalgia. It's sort of nostalgia gone horribly wrong, where it's uncomfortable to see something from your past come back. Um, And that, of course, is the foundation of a lot of horror movies, especially, you know, I don't know if there's a specific movie that does this, but a hypothetical instance would be, um, kid grows up in slightly creepy circumstances with his toys, and then when he's an adult, it turns out his toys are evil, um, or... Maybe there's just, you know, we see the the protagonist as a kid, and they have their toys, and later on there's like, this this happens in, in some fantasy movies, um, you know, uh, there's kind of something that happens similar to it in Labyrinth, um, where basically then the toys end up coming back into their older life. Um, sort of weaponized against them, because they've they've been either, like, turned into monsters, or in the case of Labyrinth, it it forms, like, an emotional trap. Um, And so, in a lot of ways, Disturbia encapsulates what it was like to be a teenager in 2007 almost too well. Um, And that is primarily... I mean to say that in a, prim- a primarily, like, negative way. Uh, this movie, like I said, a lot of its thematic stuff has not aged well, as we will get into. And similarly, there's just, you know... I'm just gonna spoil it right away. There are kids in this... There are bratty kids in this movie who end up saying, Haha, what a retard! And, like, there are people who still say that today. But fortunately it's far less socially acceptable um you know people will generally kind of look at you funny if you work that word into your vocabulary and so i th- i think to to demonstrate what i want to get into then i think it's it we should probably just you know get into the movie itself um so the movie uh is well first of all kind of a bit of backstory uh the movie is heavily inspired by um Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Rear Window. And while I like the Hitchcock movies that I've seen, you know, which are the pretty standard ones, Um, Psycho, The Birds, North by Northwest, Um, you know, I I like Hitchcock's movies, but I'm not a diehard fan of his, so I haven't really gotten around to the bulk of his of his filmography and and Rear Window is one of them. And and so, you know, here come here come the rocks. You can't give opinions on movies anymore you haven't seen Rear Window, the greatest suspense movie of all time. And I'm like no, the greatest suspense movie of all time is I don't know. Um Probably sweet trash. Um But anyway, uh so the movie stars Shia LaBeouf. Um little baby Shia LaBeouf. This is, I think, even pre-Transformers. And honestly the thing is is that um provided this is just kind of we need a certain type of character, oh man, that Shia LaBeouf kid, he definitely has the face and ability for this. Um, but Shia LaBeouf's character in this movie is remarkably similar to, um, uh, the, the, the Witwicky, uh, the Witwicky kid that he plays in, uh, transformers sorry first you know i haven't seen the movies with uh you know marky mark in them but i can remember the name kade Jager off the top of my head because that's not a name you forget but you know like eh, sam witwicky eh. only reason i remember that is i found out that the witwicky family is originally from the transformers cartoons another famous thing i haven't seen um so yeah, no, in this one, uh uh Shia LaBeouf plays Kale. Uh again, kind of a bit of a transformer vibe. Um, just because Kale Brecht is as kind of similar to me, at least in kind of the, the tone, as Cade Jaeger. Um and there were several points where I was checking on Wikipedia, did Michael Bay produce this movie? Uh, Is this how Michael Bay found out about Shia LaBeouf? Um, But no, surprisingly, Michael Bay had absolutely nothing to do with this movie, and yet his thumbprints are still all over it. And and I realize, of course, some of that is retroactive taint from Transformers. And I just, you know, eh, those are the movies I generally associate with Shia LaBeouf, even though he's definitely made better ones. Um, And this movie still, with all of its faults, is better than even the best of the Transformers movies. (laughs) So, anyway, um, yeah, no, Cale Brecht, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a 17-year-old, um, uh, we, we first meet him, and he's going out on a fishing trip with his dad, and we actually get some pretty sweet bonding, um, you know, there's, like, you know, kind of a bit of a routine where, where Shia LaBeouf is, like, oh, yeah, you know, I got this, like, hick girl pregnant out in Vegas, and I'm gonna go marry her, we're gonna live in a trailer park together, and, you know, the dad is just like, "Uh uh-huh, sure, okay, well, just as long as she's good for you, and, and, you know, then they laugh over it, um, but anyway, long story short, Shia LaBeouf, um, well, basically, like, when he and his dad are driving back, they, okay, they get hit by one car, uh, we get a moment where the car is lying off to the side of the road all smashed up and, and Kale is all like, Oh my god, Dad, are you okay? And then um then they get hit by a second car, which I assume is the same car that just got done ramming the the car with the little girl in it from the beginning of Wicker Man and it's so like Yeah, they get hit by a second car, and actually, you know, you know, Kale's dad, unfortunately, dies, and it is actually kind of sad, because we don't really see his body, we just see, you know, Shia LaBeouf's face as just, you know, horror and grief breaks out across it. So that's actually a pretty effective scene. Um, we then cut to, uh, one year later. Um, Kale is in his Spanish class, and he's bas- he's about to graduate from high school, um, or maybe not. It, I can't remember if he's in his senior or junior year, but given that he's seventeen, I was kind of thinking maybe senior year because that's how I that's how old I was when I graduated. Um, but the. Um, so we also get to meet his friend ronnie at this time where uh ronnie ronnie his primary attributes are that um he even wears a green shirt and has kind of similar hair and that it's kind of like mussed up to an extent um ronnie is what would happen if shaggy from scooby-doo was a horn dog um so, he, they're in Spanish class, Ronnie is giving a speech about, you know, because they have to give speeches on what are we going to do over the summer, and Ronnie is just like, I'm going to go to the tropics, and I'm going to, like, make out with a bunch of ladies, and so his teacher gives him an F for this. The kid is speaking fluent Spanish, and is using some fairly complicated terms for a high school Spanish course and the teacher just gives him an F just based on the subject material and it's like it's not even graphic he doesn't even talk about it like like i said he he wanted to like make out with them but he doesn't even say that like he just says i'm going to meet attractive women and that's it so that's your first tip off that this teacher is kind of unreasonable what happens next um probably should have been the subject of a lawsuit uh, if this if this movie happened in a conventional reality um so Shia LaBeouf has spent the last year being depressed because of what happened to his dad um and you know the thing is is that he was extremely close to his dad so that is realistic again in my mind you know that someone would be in grief for a year especially a teenager um, it's, you know, dealing with the death of a parent when you're a teenager, you know, must be unimaginable, and, you know, so it, it does make sense. Um, so, he has difficulty responding in class, and the, gener- the general, um, the general kind of, uh, put forth is that he, um... He basically just hasn't been studying. he's probably not really been engaging with the class that much this semester um and so he uh the teacher comes up to him and says, "I don't know who you think you are or who you think you're messing with um which is already way too threatening. For a teacher to not get sued, Um, then he proceeds to say, "Come on, you can do it. What would your dad think?" And Kale punches him in the face. And at that point, I was like, "Yeah, I would have done the same thing if he didn't do it. I would have done it for him because, like, he—that's a terrible, terrible teacher. You can't—you don't bring up a student's dead parents to motivate them to fulfill their." assignments in your fucking class. The sad thing is, is that there are tons of high school teachers out there who are just like that. And I'm sure, you know, there are middle school teachers, there are elementary school teachers, there are college professors that are all like that. And that's, that's just, it's all wrong. You know? Um, so this is, this is kind of interesting, because you know, normally when you have a movie, um, because, okay, kind of just moving on a little bit, the, uh, what happens, long story short, is um, Kale ends up getting placed under house arrest uh, for the entirety of the summer. He has to wear an ankle brace. Normally in a movie like this, a teen getting punished for a crime in this fashion to set up the plot of the movie, it would be treated as if it was unfair when it really isn't. Um, And so... Like, in this case, it actually is unfair. Like, I mean, you know, he's still... The teacher still has the right to press charges for assault. Um, You know, maybe maybe punching him was not the right thing to do, at least, you know, rationally or legally speaking. Um, But again, I get it, you know? It's like... I don't know... so, this this teacher was legitimately kind of a bad person, and I think the court does say something to the effect of we're giving you a lighter sentence than we would normally, because you're going through grief, and, and we get it. Um, th- and so, you know, then there's also, you know, there's other circumstances. Basically, the first kind of the first third or so of the movie really sets up how, uh, Kale's situation becomes increasingly unbearable, which then forces him into the circumstances that, um, get the main plot rolling. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the cop who is assigned to Kale's case is the cousin of the Spanish teacher that he punched. And, um,. This cop also should be sued or fired, because there are there's at least two or three major instances in this movie where he neglects his job to <laughs> basically just, you know like, okay, just there's a later scene where, you know, Shia LaBeouf's ankle bracelet is going off, and he's just like I'm going to take my time answering this call, because I'm tired of dealing with this kid. And it's like, but that's still a crime. Really, that's not punishing him, unless you think about it as the longer he waits and lets Shia LaBeouf run free with the ankle bracelet, the harsher the consequences are going to be for him, which is an abuse of justice. Um, So, yeah, um, there is also, like... There's a stereotype in, um, movies written by white people, uh, and shows, too. Um, has anyone else ever noticed the character of the, um, bob-cut-haired, um, aggressive black female, like, lawyer or parole officer? Um, because it's... It seems like a lot of the shows I watch that are that are more modern in a lot of the movies I see, you have a character where there's a black lady wearing, a, like, a a dark suit, and she's always just like, listen, I don't want to be dealing with any of this bullshit right now. This is just my normal mood. Like, I'm just, I just hate everybody and everything, and I'm just gonna be bitter about my job because I'm just really fucking serious. And, and I don't i I'm really uncomfortable with that again, because a lot of the writers in these circumstances are white, and I think it is a legitimate modern stereotype of you know just the needlessly bitchy black lady and so th- this character archetype just just makes me uncomfortable ultimately um so anyway yeah she 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 kind of like She ends up, like, taking pleasure in the fact that, like, she charges, um, she has to, in addition to all this, she also has to, like, build a family for maintenance of, of the ankle bracelet, which is a real thing. Um, also, it's at this point, I should just get one fact out of the way, uh, uh, Kale's mom is Trinity from the Matrix movies. (laughs) I did not notice on my first watch through, um, but that was, I think the first time I watched it, maybe that was before. No, I watched this movie after I watched uh, I watched the Matrix trilogy all the way through, Uh, so never mind. (laughs) I'm just not very observant. I I can tell when Jean Grey shows up, Uh, but not Trinity apparently. Um, Maybe it's because she doesn't wear leather in this. Um, So anyway, yeah, the uh, so what happens is yeah, uh, so he's just like trying to keep himself. Like, Kale was just trying to keep himself entertained, which, you know, the parole officer actually says. She's like, I don't want you going bonkers. I want you to try to keep yourself entertained so that you can... um, Preferably doing something constructive, you know, so that this is is a, a good learning experience for you. And so his mom cuts off his iTunes account so he can't listen to music. Although apparently, like, YouTube doesn't exist in this universe. Like, even in 2007... Like, you know, YouTube was young, but I'm pretty sure it was to the point where you could find, like, a lot of songs that you wanted to listen to. Um, so yeah, cuts off his iTunes. Um, he's playing He's playing Xbox. Um, he's playing uh, Ghost Recon, Advanced Warfighter, which is kind of funny. Um, again, kind of tying into that weird nostalgia factor, because um, that was one of the games that Some of my friends had And we always kind of like made fun of it Because like you can just call it Graw (laughs) Which is kind of funny I guess But anyway um, So yeah He's playing Graw And we get this Totally real scene Like screen that pops up When you get your Xbox Live account Turned off which is an orange Screen with text on it that says Access denied Um, so yeah, uh, eventually then, like, okay, so he's watching TV, and his mom ends up basically just, you know, um, oh, it's here I should point out, specifically by watching TV, I mean that he's watching some sort of, like, you know, Skinamax, like, I don't know, bikini car wash sort of thing. Um, just a lot of like scantily clad women, you know, with zoom ins on people's tits. Like it's a Jess Franco movie. Um and so yeah, his mom comes home and she doesn't even catch him watching the boobs. Um, and she ends up slicing the power cable on the T V that I assume she paid for. Um And, you know, TV cables can be replaced, but at the same time, what if that one couldn't? Like, you just bricked your TV just to get in, just, like, do something petty to your son because you're mad at him for, you know, punching someone over insulting your dead husband. Um, But anyway, yeah, so, um, fortunately, uh, Ronnie is, is... allowed to visit, um, Kale. And so, you know, Ronnie will stop by and, and you know, they'll be able to hang out and, and talk about stuff. Um, and... uh and, and then there's, like, you know, local multiplayer on the Xbox, uh, which is, you know, better, in my opinion. So, um... Yeah, at this point we basically find out that if Ronnie isn't saying how scared he is of something, um, he's saying how, um so and so is attractive you know s- boobs such and such uh butts such and such and and he, is is a is definitely a stereotype of a teenager um definitely in a less negative sort of light than um you know the the, the stereotype that i was talking about earlier uh but the you know the writers were just like, "Well, when I was a teenager, the only thing I ever thought about was sex, so therefore that's what these characters are thinking about um, but this is kind of what I have to bring up, um especially when the character of Ashley is introduced uh this movie u- utilizes that sort of that sort of stereotype basically to um." it's not really any different than a lot of slasher movies. They use it to draw in a teenage female-attracted audience um, and hold their attention. Um, but in some ways, the story ultimately ends up becoming some sort of sideways criticism of um, a lot of the the sort of stuff that it also exploits and delves into. Um So, yeah, uh, you know, Ronnie is hanging out with him. We we learn his his character traits. Uh, We then get a montage, basically, of Kale readjusting to his new life. And it shows him doing the dishes. And he fills his washing machine not only with um, laundry soap, which is a terrible idea, but also he just, like, throws in a whole bottle, like, bottle and all, of palm olive... And just let it. It just lets it sit, sit in there. We never find out what happened after that, but I assume his kitchen was flooded and he wrecked his washing machine. Um, so uh, then we also, of course, get the requisite masturbation joke where he's like in the bathroom and you hear thrusting sounds and he's like, ugh, oof, oh yeah, oof. And th- those are those are my impressions of Shia LaBeouf's sex sounds. And, um, so he's- but it turns out the joke is, oh man, he's actually just scratching under the ankle bracelet because it gets really itchy! Um, and, uh, yeah, so this is, you know, he also runs into, um, like, he he sees that there are new neighbors moving in next door, um, but as he's kind of, like, familiarizing himself with them, uh, he ends up getting ding-dong ditched with, like, a burning bag of dog shit. And, of course, he tries to stamp it out so he gets shit all over his feet. And then it's, it's like, those two, like, bratty neighborhood kids. And so, like, he starts chasing them. And, of course, he forgets that, you know, he's under house arrest. And, you know, the bracelet ends up going off and the cops show up and they're just like, oh, whoosh, Um... But this is, so yeah, as they are, uh, tackling and and restraining, uh, Kale, uh, that's when he finds out, oh man, the new neighbors have a hot daughter my age, and, uh, so yeah, the first impression that these two characters have of each other is one of them gets to see the other being arrested, clearly they are made for each other, (laughs) um... So, yeah, basically then, uh, Shia LaBeouf takes... He He's already kind of... Um, because his entertainment has been cut off, he's taken to spying on his neighbors, and he's memorized a lot of their routines. And so he starts spying on um, the neighbor girl, and... um. So this is when the movie's theme arises. Uh, the theme is voyeurism is is sexy, even if it's non-consensual. Um, it's, it's a movie that says that voyeurism and being a creep and spying on people when they change and when they're swimming in their private pool and just trying to sit around in their backyard and enjoy themselves, if, if you creep on them like that, They will fall in love with you. And you see then that this movie... More than just incorporating... You know... Pseudo-nudity... Into into the narrative to attract teenagers. um, It also... It kind of then makes that into the whole theme. The whole theme is... This is a wish fulfillment fantasy for teenage boys in that you know they have a hot neighbor and they end up creeping on them because they can't approach them in real life this time for legal reasons, which makes it worse in my mind um, even even if those legal reasons are not directly related to her. Um, but he that you they you know you spy on them from a distance because you can't approach them for some reason and that ends up attracting them to you and you end up dating them that is pure blood just rotten teenage boy fantasy it it, it is and and i say this in a in a sort of condemning way Um just because also it's like yeah this movie is rated PG-13 and it's definitely marketed towards teenagers for a lot of the reasons I've talked about but it's also like okay Kale is 17 on the cusp of 18 we never learn um, what age Ashley is and even though the actress playing her is 23 was 23 at the time It still means that we spend the majority of the movie leering at a teenage girl, just being complicit in that. And that is where I think the movie is truly reprehensible. Um, there is perhaps one moment that tries to deconstruct that a bit, but it also kind of exacerbates it. Um... Yeah, I mean, this isn't the only movie to, you know, feature attractive, technically underage teenagers, but the fact that it is centrally about voyeurism makes it really disturbing. Uh, That's sort of the thing where I feel it has not aged well, um, is just, ideally today's teenagers know that you that that sort of thinking is unhealthy and and that you can't do that to a person um yeah i don't know it's to to, to bring up a lighter fact i did find out that the the actress who plays uh ashley um she's actually married to chad michael murray from my apparently new favorite movie uh house of wax Uh, I love it so much, I can't shut up about it. Uh, so yeah, um, oh, I do have to kind of belabor this point once again, so... Actually, I mean, the thing is, I'm probably not going to really change the tone too much on that throughout the rest of the review, um cuz i just i remembered that there is there's one scene which is truly despicable i think from from my perspective which is um even though he spied on her before in her swimsuit kale ends up spying on ashley when she is topless and there is a scene where he realizes she's going to be you know taking everything off And he puts the binoculars down, because, yeah, I mean, he's not just, like, looking out his window, he actually is, like, you know, going pro on this. Um, But he um, is, uh. He puts the binoculars down and looks down with regret, as if he's like, this is wrong, I shouldn't take advantage of a person like this. And then he does it anyway. and and again this is kind of portrayed as a good thing and it honestly keeps getting worse as time goes on um so this is also when the the actual suspense plot starts coming in um there have been um Kale has seen news reports on the TV that his mom didn't cut the power cable on uh, basically that there was a serial killer in Texas who the police have not been able to, caught, to catch but he he's seemingly gone quiet um, and so this is kind of you know the movie gets a bit clever because um, Kale starts suspecting that one of his neighbors uh, specifically an older guy named Robert Turner um, he suspects that he is the killer uh, because there is circumstantial evidence that keeps popping up to point towards him as having a dark secret. Um, his car fender is bashed in, but then mysteriously fixed as if he wanted to cover up a crime. Um, there was and there was blood on the bashed-in fender. Um, you know, they uh, they end up seeing that there's like a steer skull. In his in his garage, which you know, uh, um, this is a bit further along when Ashley has has joined the the voyeurism club, and uh, she basically kind of like jokingly puts forth, "Well, they do have steers in Texas, and the serial killer was from Texas, so maybe there's a connection." But the the kind of suspense here then is that it's it become it, 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 it is, it's it's. Um, Cale ends up getting gaslit both intentionally and by circumstance, um, so that it increasingly seems comes across to his friends and family that he is just being paranoid about Turner, um, and prejudicial against him, uh, because of his confinement. And, and, and basically he is starting to go crazy in, in, you know, house arrest and he, he he has turned his voyeurism habit into um you know he he is associating outside events that have nothing to do with what he's seeing um with the world outside uh so that actually is kind of clever in its own way and this movie even up until the end it does definitely keep it ambiguous as to whether or not turner is the killer even as evidence keeps piling up and the evidence gets more and more suspicious to the point where they're finding decaying bodies in his house that still have reasonable explanations for being there in that case it turns out he conveniently had a deer that he hit which is also why he had the bloody bastion fender um and that was the smell that they that, that they found um and again, this is, like, you know, within half an hour before the end of the movie, so it's like, is the movie going to end with just, the, basically, the revelation that Shia LaBeouf is crazy? Um, and, um... So, yeah, that, that I think that is where the movie succeeds, even if its approach to having a romance angle is, is, is pretty gross. Um... So yeah, uh, uh, basically Ashley ends up going over to Kale's house and, uh, hangs out with him and Ronnie, uh, because she gets locked out of her house and her parents are at work. Um, and so, you know, because it's 2007, I have to bring this up, um, they get nervous because, oh, 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 man, uh, an attractive woman is talking to me. Uh, I don't know what to do. Uh, uh, I can't just talk to her like she's a regular human being. um But, like, they were talking, like, like Ronnie says, we were upstairs playing. And then Ashley's just like, oh. And then he's, and then Shia LaBeouf is just like, we were playing video games. And it's like, get it? We're not gay even though I'm pretty sure Kale and Ronnie probably have actually had sex at some point. Um, so... Ashley ends up coming in, and she's just like, huh, you're playing video games, huh? Which ones? I like video games. And then... And then... Because 2007... A girl... A hot girl... Who plays... VIDEO GAMES (laughs) did you know that the majority of gamers are women Um, I'm just pointing this out there because uh, while the world has definitely moved on from its shittiness of 2007 while getting substantially worse in a variety of ways um, there's still a lot of people who are like oh my god an attractive girl and they play video games, how is that possible? Their attractiveness clearly voids out the chance of them having geeky habits, like, playing video games, which has totally not become mainstream to the point where it's actually like an Olympic sport in some countries. Like, <laughs> the movie, um... <laughs> so yeah, anyway, Ashley... What What happens is Ashley gets briefed on sort of the the, the voyeurism that... Um, Kale has been doing, although he hasn't he doesn't make it clear that he has been spying on her as well Um, It's during this time that um, Ashley doesn't necessarily act like a human being Um, She acts more like uh, a pre-session porn star Um, There's a lot of body movement that movies and media directed by men will they'll have their women act in a particular way, which is not really natural to do unless you are like in in the bedroom with someone and and you know you're about to get into things um, you know people don't swing their hips as as much as that. People don't like bend over and stretch in in sexy ways just randomly. People don't people don't naturally speak in just you know husky sexy flirty voice. Um, and, and and there's you know when he hands her the binoculars like and she's looking out the window like kale is standing behind her and he's smelling her hair and like going like <sighs> and and it's just like jesus um so yeah uh basically then this is when they start to theorize some stuff about turner mostly semi seriously um and so... Like... Uh, one thing I should point out that kind of took me back... Um, so, Kale and Ashley are, like, staying up. It's, like, relatively late at night. And... um, I just... You know, I remember back in the day when it was a big deal... To take someone's phone and change their ringtones. Um... Just kind of a minor thing, but I mean, you know, flip top phones kind of kind of takes you back to the the good old days when uh, when 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 technology was <laughs> considerably more inconvenient and primitive. Um, I don't miss flip top phones, trust me. Uh, but yeah, so when she ends up going home, like this is another instance where it's just like. Women do not act like this. Women just act like people. <laughs> it's like, you know, she, like, realizes that she's he's probably spying on her, and so she's, like, you know, strolling around her bedroom, just, like, flicking her hand up, and, like, pulling the curtains closed all sexy-like. And she's just like, you know, oh yeah, you want to know what's going on behind this curtain. And it's like, People don't act like that. Um I mean to be fair they do almost kiss. Uh you know, because you know, they're the protagonists in the movie and they experience tremendous magnetism uh as such. It it's it's protagonist magnetism, an extra human force that is occasionally unrealistic, uh, because it comes from a zone of external physics. Um, to be fair though, I mean at least at least Kale actually does have a fairly decent sense of humor like he he you know he is somewhat charming in in scenes with her you know just kind of in like a dorky you know sort of way um so i i can kind of understand them having a bit of chemistry i don't understand why their chemistry lasts until the end of the movie um as we will see so uh, after after she leaves, Kale goes back to spying on Turner, and he ends up freaking out because he sees that Turner is also watching him. Um, and what's worse is the next day, Turner ends up coming over to his house, and ends up becoming friends with his mom. So that's already kind of a red flag. Um, admittedly, he does kind of talk about how it's like, hey, you know, like, you've been watching me, I figure I might as well properly introduce myself um and so he ends up like complaining about it later to Ashley and he's just like, he was totally hitting on my mom and it's like, I don't know was he? um (laughs) Trinity can do better for herself um she should do better for herself, she was stuck with Keanu Reeves for a while so, yeah, he he he's complaining about like you know, oh my god, yeah, he he was totally hitting on her, and then Ashley's response is, "I don't blame him. Your mom's hot," and I'm like, "Canon by confirmed, I guess." Which you know, hey, I, I've kind of been thinking about what it would have been like to be a teenage girl seeing this movie. Um, that is very much directed at teenage boys is, you know, a lot of people will probably focus on, um, you know, the suspense and, and the scare elements and just kind of, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of teenage girls are not <laughs> frankly taught about the way that patriarchy exploits them uh, <laughs> to be kind of heavy-handed. J- j- just a just little. Um, and so consequently you know a lot of people a lot of a lot of young women normalize seeing you know people like themselves being sexualized um <laughs> but i like to think though that that nod to to ashley thinking kale's mom is hot is just sort of like and now something for the ladies <laughs> um but yeah so Ashley ends up saying that she's, she's having a party, and, again, teenagers in 2007, Kale's immediate response is, wait, hold on, she's going to a party without me, which means I can't stop other guys from hitting on her, and I, and, you know, she's just gonna, like, throw herself at whoever comes her way, so I, I'm gonna just, you know, be super paranoid about this and, like, insult her to her face, uh about having this party, and then proceeding to ruin it by blasting loud, incongruous music out of my windows uh, while she's trying to play music of her own. So, um, during this sequence ends up coming out, basically, that Kale was spying on her as well. And she is pissed over this because I think she... Previously, she thought she was exempt. It was just that one time that she, you know, was kind of flirting with him through the window, um, you know, after after they became friends. And so she, she ends up, yeah, confronting him. And he doesn't exactly make it a secret that he was he saw her in kind of some compromising positions at which point I would have punched him in the face just like I would have punched his teacher Um. then it gets really creepy because he says well hang on listen I've been able to see things about you that maybe you don't even see about yourself you have like all of these cute facial tics and like these little like mini-habits when you wake up, and, like, you know, you do all of these, like, activities, and, and it's like, that's not charming. That's not charming at all, the fact that you memorize her, her tick, like, her, her facial tics when she's thinking about certain things. That's weird. That's something that you do for someone maybe when you've dated them for, like, a few years, But not someone that you've known for a few days and, you know, have, admittedly, a a two-sided crush on. Like, a crush is way different than, you know, I know all of your little habits because I I love you in and out. Like, so, and then even worse, he's like, you're not like those other girls, you read books. Not crappy magazines like Seventeen or whatever, you read books. You're not like those other girls. Fuck you. Like, I'm sorry, but let's just... uh, 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 The video game thing was bad enough, but it's like... Women are usually more inclined to read than men because men have a tendency Shia LaBeouf to think that reading is stupid because it involves them using their brain instead of their dick (laughs) I'm addressing that to Shia LaBeouf specifically, (laughs) not the real person but the Shia LaBeouf in this movie Shia LaBeouf in real life he's probably actually kind of he's he's probably an okay person Um, but god like at that point Really, the only thing that gives that we have left to like about Kale is the fact that it is still sad that he is going through grief from his dad, and also the fact that he and his loved ones almost get murdered. And 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 it feels just sort of wrong to not have empathy for someone who is almost killed by a serial killer. Um, But still, it's like, ugh, God, I'm glad. The last eleven years have have changed things. Maybe it's still bad or even worse with teenagers. I don't know. I, I don't hang out with teenagers. I'm, you know, because I'm fucking I'm fucking old, and and so like, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um. So. Yeah anyway, oh I I need to I need to talk about the climax of that scene, uh this this ever so pivotal scene. So Ashley's response to all this is to say that is either the creepiest or the sweetest thing I've ever heard and starts making out with him. <laughs> and it gets to the point where it looks like they're actually going to bang. Um during this time we return to plot beta uh, when we suddenly get an abrupt tonal shift, which absolutely, you know, you you can forget about this scene, um, but at the same time, it kind of just, it, it reveals to you that Shia's suspicions are correct. Uh, Robert Turner is the killer because we suddenly just get jump-scare shots of, like, chainsaw noises and blood splattering against his windows. Um... So yeah, uh, in order to figure out then if Turner is the killer, what they have, what they end up doing is they manage to get something hooked up so that Kale's TV can get live feed from Ronnie's camera, and so they want to break into Turner's car to find out, um, if there's evidence in there that points towards him being the killer, uh and so and and during this time Ashley is hanging out in a hardware store basically just trying to like keeping an eye on him and and so that they they know when he's going to get back from the store and uh you know there's the risk of catching Ronnie so um <laughs> this is kind of the deconstruction the deconstruction that I talked about. So, as she's in the parking lot, and she's lost track of Turner, Ashley um, is in her car, and is about to start it, when Turner climbs inside and switches the keys off, and takes the keys. And he proceeds to give her a creepy speech about, you know hey, again, if you're spying on me and you want to get to know me, why don't you just talk to me? But then he turns it into if you want to get to know me, just talk to me. And he is, like, running his hands on her leg. And it's at that point that it's like, okay, this guy is probably a serial killer because he's almost certainly a pedophile. Um... And, and he lets her go, but he's basically like, just remember, you're not the only one who's watching. So yeah, yeah, maybe this movie isn't as clever as I thought it was. I don't know, may- maybe I'm just kind of an idiot. And, and, and it, 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 I mean, I did, it's not like I was saying this movie was good. Um, so yeah, anyway, oh yeah, Ashley also says this is fine. She says this is normal neighborly behavior to climb into someone's car, take their keys and grope them, while giving them a threatening speech about watching them. Yeah, she that's that's normal to her apparently. Um so basically then um Ashley feels like, she basically is like, this isn't really that funny anymore, because like, at this point we're basically just harassing a guy, and, you know, let's just leave him alone, and so then kind of, you know, Shia LaBeouf's dilemma, because at this point he is fully convinced that Turner is the killer, um, he ends up, um, he bas- basically he is then in the dilemma of do i seek justice against the serial killer or do i go with what my love interest slash girlfriend slash whatever they are at that point um you know at, like do do I, do I basically just go with her uh so it's justice versus poontang um Ronnie then agrees to the next phase of the plan, which is, uh, basically, let's break into Turner's house and see if he has any secret rooms full of bodies, and so Ronnie breaks in, and he's just like, oh man, it smells terrible in here, like the corpse of a Roddy and Hottie, and it's like, you're calling the corpses hot now, really? Like... Because earlier, like, Ashley and Kale saw, like, there was a younger woman at Turner's house, and he was seemingly chasing her with a knife, but it turns out it was actually, like, some sort of, like, kink game, and he was actually, like, she was, like, running up to the bedroom so that he could use the knife to, like, cut her dress straps off. Um, And it looks like it was kind of a nice dress, too. Like, I'd be kind of, like, pissed about that, Uh, even if it was my kink. Um, So... Yeah, um like w- Turner ends up coming home during this and uh like Ronnie is stuck in the house and it becomes clear that he is probably not going to get out alive. Um... Kale runs across the street... And of course it sets off his ankle bracelet... But he honestly doesn't really care... Because he just wants to save his friend... And um... Of course the cops show up... And Turner of course has an alibi for everything... And... But Ronnie is still missing... Um... Oh yeah, they went into the house, actually, in addition to looking for secret rooms. they uh, Ronnie ended up losing his phone in Turner's car, so he was going to try to break into his garage so he could break into his car and get the phone back before Turner noticed it. Um, so, Kale ends up getting a text from Ronnie's phone that says, look on your TV. And so he looks over to where the camera feed is, and he sees Ronnie's corpse stuffed in a closet. And he realizes, oh crap, that's my closet. And so he goes over to the closet and opens it, and he finds Ronnie's body in there. And it turns out it was a joke. Ronnie was playing a practical joke on him. Um, Again, we're 20 minutes from the climax, which spoiler alert, reveals that yeah, Turner is unambiguously the serial killer. Um, and and Ronnie, you know, he found rotting remains in, in his house, which turned out to be a deer, but he didn't know that. For all he knew, there was an actual corpse there, and for all he knew, all that Kale knew was that there was a rotting corpse in there as well. So, he just plays this joke on him, as, just to be... Frickin' sadistic! And... So, yeah, um... Because of... Because of what happened... Uh... Kale's mom, Trinity, wants to go over... To Robert's house to apologize. Um... And... So he gets paranoid. And he is and so he's just like but you know honestly I should just go with everyone Ashley says he's fine Ronnie says he's fine my mom says he's fine he's prob I'm probably just cracking up then he looks at one of the photos that was taken of the inside of the house and he sees that there is a dead girl with plastic over her face and this is around the time that Robert ends up smashing his mom over the head just as she's turning to leave, and drags her into the house. So, yeah, um... Basically, then, uh... He ends up going over to the house, which sets off his bracelet again. Uh, and this time, this time the cop, who is the teacher's cousin, is just like, who cares? This kid deserves whatever the hell happens to him. Um, and so, he... He breaks into the house um and he ends up just finding a bunch of gross stuff um he finds basically first there's like a little like crawl space that has a dead body in it and then he ends up like um he ends up like falling into an underground water-filled charnel pit that is full of rotting corpses, that apparently Turner was able to just mine out without, under his basement, without severing any, like, major, like, water or power lines. So that's a thing. Um, and, so basically then, um, like, Turner ends up, uh, he, he, he restrains Kale, and he starts writing a, uh, confession note basically blaming Kale for the murders. Um including he plans to finish off uh both Ronnie and Kale's mom. Um and so um and, and then, you know, of course blame Kale for it and, and he has a reasonably good way of framing him. Um he says, you know, something to the effect of basically like I I went crazy because of my girlfriend and the isolation and stuff like that um so oh I should also point out the, the uh the cousin the cousin cop gets killed off in something that kind of took me out of the movie a little bit uh, which is Turner comes up behind him and just breaks his neck in one clean go like he's solid snake um so yeah uh fortunately around this time though ashley ends up coming to kale's rescue um she ends up getting him free and uh they end up going after where he ke he's kept kale's mom and during this time there's a final fight where kale ends up killing him with a pickaxe um and of course you know kale's mom is able to explain everything that happened Uh, which means that he's able to get his bracelet off for good behavior. Um, And so, well, it's weird, though, because, uh, oh, I should say here, he didn't impale him with a a pickaxe, he impaled him with hedge clippers. There's a difference. Um, And so uh, (laughs) the parole officer says, you know, I think you're the first person in history to have one of these bracelets taken off for good behavior. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm pretty sure that like there have been people who have been pardoned before like that, or had their sentences shortened, just like how that happens to people in jail. Um So yeah, uh it, we end up basically just going out on a happy ending. Uh you know, Ronnie and uh Kale end up busting the kids who left shit on his doorstep. Uh, you know, he he he's able to uh, expose them for watching porn on TV to their mom, um, and so Ronnie then ends up like so. So Ashley and Kale are making out, and the movie ends with Ronnie going. This is about to be the most popular video on YouTube. So maybe I should take back what I said about YouTube earlier with it possibly having music on it. Uh, YouTube was still pretty primitive in 2007 but also it's kind of funny because that would have been like a hip uh, a hip reference like you know making a uh, I don't know like a Tumblr reference in like 2011 or like making a Facebook reference in I don't know 2004. I don't remember when Facebook started up. I I barely remember MySpace, um, which I'm honestly surprised doesn't play a role in this movie. So yeah, this movie is, uh, it's not very good. I mean, there are definitely a lot of elements that work to it, and and, and, and at certain points it it does become an effective suspense film. Um, and there is some charm to it as well. The characters, um, when they're even, like, when they're not written badly, the characters are charming, and Ashley is a likable person, obviously enough, um, it's, it, you can forgive Kale for some of his faults, um, although I have to wonder how much of that is just the fact that a lot of people have just normalized patriarchy in their minds, and so, boys will be boys and whatnot, boys will spy on their neighbors changing and traumatize them for life, um, but it's it's you know it it, to me again a lot of the appeal is just as a relic it is it is a symbol of when i was um significantly younger than i am now and it is um a very firm and direct uh encapsulation i guess of of both the, the 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 things i can feel good about like you know staying up late with, with girls changing each other's ringtones, you know, stuff like that, um, you know, I can feel nostalgia for that, while also recognizing, hey, the past was not great, your childhood was not perfect, even if, even if it feels better than, sometimes than what you have now, because that's just the nature of human psychology, um, so, yeah uh i don't have a whole lot of critical analysis on this that i didn't do in the bulk of the of of my my blabber so um yeah i i the again this movie is 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 a fun riff um especially if you find some of its some of its internal politics as as poorly aged as i have as i did um and and I guess if you're, you know, in your mid-twenties, if you want to flash back to, you know, the spring of 2007, when people thought this was a good movie, like, that's a thing. Although, you know, nostalgia, as, as, we'll, as, as I've said, not always the best. Sometimes those things just shouldn't come back. This is kind of one of them. <laughs> so yeah uh, that's all I have to say Um, until we meet again